Hi, and welcome back to the Planet Song Podcast. My name is T.K. Boomer, and I'm the author and narrator of the episode you're about to hear. Before I read it, however, I'd just like to point out that this is the second episode in this series, which means, of course, that if you haven't heard the previous episode, you'll be coming in in the middle of things. Planet Song, for those of you who don't know, is the first novel in the FAR trilogy and is available for purchase in both ebook and print formats from my website, tkboomer.com. Episode 2 goes forward in time about 300 years and starts with the FAR ship, with Teresia on board, approaching our solar system. It's the middle of the 14th century, and the Black Plague is about to ravage the human populations of both Europe and Asia. And now, Planet Song, Episode 2. Baranth The Far Scout-class ship was a small interstellar ocean, one that could self-sustain for two millennia without replenishment. It was the perfect pet-collecting vessel, with a containment area easily adapted to any aquatic singer they might find. Junior Navigational Officer Zyros was one of the youngest crew members on the ship, and Chief Navigational Officer Barant had the misfortune of being assigned mentorship. So, we're now approaching the star system, Zyros asked. We've been approaching it for nearly 300 years. Yes, but but we're actually approaching it. Baranth said nothing. I, I mean, don't we have to make adjustments because we'll be leaving interstellar space? Baranth's bellow displayed just a hint of pink, and his skills rippled diagonally. He wasn't sure that Zyros even understood condescension. Yes, he almost hissed. An appropriate response for Zyros would have been the moving of his bellow, but instead he pinked. The ship's astrophysicist is down, he said with flattened gills. We have plenty of time. Ah, yes, the tyranny of time. It's hardly a tyranny if we have so much of it. The chief navigational officer floated before the wall and stroked his personal digital memory. In it, he had cached the memories of 63 of his previous occupations. You're going into your PDM, Zyrus said with a hint of exasperation in his voice. Baranth ignored the question. The wall screen showed an itemized list of the errors of his life. In his 17th occupation, he had been an astrophysicist, and there was some information from that period in his life that they needed now. He reached out and selected it. Seventeenth occupation selected, the ship's voice said in its flat and toneless timbre. Astrophysicist level one, approximate download time, 29.3 minutes. Proceed. Proceed. Cyrus watched as his mentor entered into receiver mode. Barant's body went into a horizontal free float, and tendrils dropped down from the ceiling to secure him in place. He was in mental stasis, aware of his surroundings, but only enough to react if something were to endanger his person. The parasitic fish were quick to latch on for a blood feed. The young far swam up to the panel and studied it. 
Zyros had yet to be fitted with his PDM and therefore retained his full mental capacity. No part of his brain needed to lie follow in anticipation of a memory transfer. Procedures for entering into a star system were tricky, but well within the capacity of his young mind, he set to work. Baranth could tell that Zyros was accessing the panel, but since this was not a threat to his person, the memory transfer continued. When it finished, he turned to the young Far. What did you do? I did a preliminary scan of the approaching star system, calculated the likely distribution of obstacles and their orbits, and then increased the effectiveness of the space debris sensors. That's standard procedure when entering a star system, isn't it? Baroth displayed red, gestured to the screen, and returned the sensors to their original settings. He turned to Zyros. There's a reason why you are being mentored and why you should not do things on your own initiative. Zyros's bellow became a swirling mix of purple and red. Now, watch and learn. Baranth spread his tentacles towards the screen in a wide arc and waved to the upper left side of the panel. It responded by glowing and then indicating the ship's current speed. Baranth then made a claw-like motion downwards until the panel indicated the desired speed. Deceleration will take 14.6 days, said the ship's voice. Baranth turned to Zyras. In 14.6 days, we will increase the debris sensitivity by the precise amount needed by this star system. He tapped his PDM. We will slow the ship first, then increase the debris sensitivity. That way, we preserve power. And you got that from your PDM? Zyras asked. I had done a detailed analysis of the dynamics of this star system in my 17th occupation. The ship's computer could not have given you that information? Of course, but it would not have had a feel for the star system. Feel? You are so young. Cyrus turned away, trying to hide the reddening. The area around navigation was a coral reef, alive with all manner of fish and crustaceans, as well as the microfauna and flora they fed on. These were silent animals, bioengineered to communicate by display and not sound. The colors were vibrant, and watching them was a good way of neutralizing one's bellow. Baranth knew what Zyros was doing, trying to control his anger. When will they start to surface? Zyros asked after his bellow had beiged. Most of the crew would not come out of stasis until they were close to the planet. Moving through the star system at this speed, it will take us approximately ten years to reach it, so about five years from now you'll start to see them. And then you will go into stasis, Zyra said. When we get to the planet, yes, I'll miss all the excitement, Bernoth said. And you will get your first real test, landing this thing on a planet, assuming there's something to collect. I've been through the simulations hundreds of times. They're pretty boring, except for the ones where the automation fails and you have to land manually. Pray to the giver that doesn't happen, Bronth said as he studied Zyros. You cannot have taste. You do understand that. Even residual impairment from recreational loops is dangerous. Taste is out of the question. I thought direct exposure to the singer was necessary for taste. For that to happen, we'd need to actually be on the planet. 
Sometimes atmospheric microphones can pick up virgin song. It's rare, but it happens. Avoid this if it does. Impairment is out of the question if you're going to land this ship. Zyros said nothing. Getting taste was what being on a pet expedition was all about. Teresia Surfaces Surfacing in Teresia's experience was like slowly becoming aware that you were ascending through a murky yellow sea. Her eyes opened. Her first visual was of the attendant, his bellow a slightly inflated, soothing algae green, and his gill slits rippling. Happy surfacing, Teresia, he said. Teresia merely gestured a greeting. Her tongue would require a bit of loosening before she was able to speak clearly. I've contacted nutrition, and they're sending out your first meal shortly. I imagine you're famished, the attendant said. Yes, said Teresia. The post-surfacing nutritional protocol on board is pretty tasteless, I'm afraid, but it'll have your energy back in a few days. Then you can eat whatever you want. In the meantime, I'll draw your attention to the major difference between surfacing in space and surfacing on Centrix. He gestured to the walls. This room is heavily sponged. We'd like you to stay in here for a couple of days until you've got your coordination back. Coordination returns a little slower in artificial gravity. It wouldn't be good for you to go crashing into expensive equipment when we don't have the option of sending out for parts. Oh, eh, Teresia said. She wanted to ask if they had detected any radio or digital signals from the target planet, but didn't think she could form the words. Maragath. In its day, the Maragath Observatory in Persia had been world famous, even attracting scholars from as far away as China. But the Mongols had stolen the library, and an earthquake had stolen the buildings. The murals had sustained even further damage from the aftershocks. There were now great cracks in them, and bits and pieces of the constellation had fallen from the wall. These lay in a dusty rubble on the floor, awaiting repair. But there was no money. Shadar al-Sariya al-Bakari had spent years studying the heavens. He could identify every constellation and every star, however minor, just by looking up into a clear night sky. It brought him peace to look at it, glorying in Ella's creation. This was a dark, clear night with no moon to dull the stars. He smiled with pleasure, allowing himself to bask in the Creator's glory. Then he saw it. Something dark was moving through the sky, blocking the light as it passed in front of each star. It was too solid to be a cloud, and oddly geometrical, a floating black rectangle. He watched with apprehension, wondering if a new evil had made its presence known. Sapient Species It took nearly ten years for Broth to navigate the ship through the star system. When he had parked in orbit above the planet and begun the five-month fast before his downing, Durath came to him. The young Far was one of about seventy mission specialists who had surfaced in the last few years, a sapient species specialist, if Barant remembered correctly. He was not a Far with whom Barant had had much interaction, and in his fast-induced haze, Barant couldn't remember if the youngest member of the crew had ever called on him before. Having to deal with Zyros was bad enough, 
without having to deal with someone even younger. Hello, Baranth said, a question, not a greeting. Navigational Officer Baranth, Darath said, my apologies for coming to you during your fast, but there's something I thought you would like to see before you go down. The young far gestured at the panel on Baranth's wall. May I? There's not much I haven't seen, said Baranth. It was the standard response older far made to any attempt by the young to show them something new. You didn't see this, Durath said. The panel displayed a high-resolution image, an aerial view of part of the planet's surface. At first, Baranth wasn't sure what he was looking at. A bit of cloud cover, a desert and a river. But then he saw them. Grids. Cultivation. The planet had a sapient species early stage one in terrestrial. It was rare to see one this primitive. On approach, the planet looked so pristine he had not bothered with the standard tests, but here they were. Contact with such a species was unwise and would complicate things. It seems you have a reason for being, Baranth said. Durath said nothing, but his gills were rippling. Has the commander surfaced yet? Baranth asked. They're feeding him, Durath said. Well, I'm sorry I didn't catch this, but as you can see, I'm too far into the pre-down fast to be of any use to you now. He would have to take over in any case. I thought you should see it, Durath said. Barant allowed his gillsits to ripple slowly. You'll be down before I surface, but I'll check the logs to see how well you've done. He turned from Durath to let him know the conversation was over. Prostalin Commander Prostalin was only a few millennia away from elderhood and on his 57th occupation. He was focused in his choice of jobs, with only a dozen or so being outside of the corporate sphere. Rumors about his wealth hinted at a large personal menagerie and at an illegal loop collection hidden somewhere on the ship. Durath thought he was likely to be impatient with sapient species protocol. Report, Prostalin said when Durath was ushered into his presence. The species went undetected, Commander, Durath said. It was only after the first few high-definition surface scans that we knew they were there. Early stage one, terrestrial biped. Stage one and terrestrial? Yes. Prostalin swam around the command center impatiently, raggedly, accompanied by more than his share of parasitic fish. Durath had had few opportunities to study the commander at close range. His wrinkled bellow sagged to one side. He had patches of discolored scales, and his spine had an arch to it that contributed to his swimming problems. His last downtime had not fixed this. The final decline had begun, and Durath doubted if Prostalin would see more than one more occupation. Two at most. I suppose it's pointless to ask about transmissions, asked the commander. None, Durath confirmed. So now we just go around and around this ball while you do your little experiments? This is a great opportunity to study a sapient species in the earliest stages of its development, Durath said. The oceans are singing. They're singing. It's been millions of years since we've heard the like of this, and now we have to worry about contaminating some... The giver, Tarath interrupted. The giver? 
Religious crap, that's what that is. Durath said nothing, keeping his bellow as close to neutral beige as he could manage. He knew that Brostalin would have to comply. Not doing so would put his wealth and position at risk. He watched as the commander swam around the space irritably, his damaged bellow shifting between shades of red. When he finally came to a stop, he looked at Durath. What? Are you still here? Get on with it! Durath backed out of the room slowly and left. He had the freedom to do his job for now, but he also knew that Prostalin could make his life miserable. He would have to do his work quickly or risk the consequences. It was rare that time ever became an issue for the far. They considered near-infinite patience a high virtue under normal circumstances, but these were not normal circumstances. When the promise of virgin song was at hand, decorum was always at risk. Thanks for listening to this second episode in the Planet Song podcast. For more information, please go to tkboomer.com.